Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Charles, how are you? DJ? Is that good? Okay. I'm good. I'm great. I think think I'm great. I guess we'll find out. Yolanda Freeman Hildreth, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? You guys sound like you guys are doing well. You know what? We could be worse. We could be worse. Life's pretty good right now. I could say the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm in Southfield, the suburbs of Detroit right now. Okay. This is where I stay. Yep. I'm Michigan, homegrown, raised, stayed here. Pretty much never really moved. So let's talk a little bit about that. Were were you born and raised in uh, Detroit area? I was, yeah. Born and raised in Detroit. We moved to Southfield when I was, hmm, maybe about 10, 11 or so. Okay. And what high Mm -hmm. school did you go to? I went to Southfield High. Okay. So what was the reputation of Southfield High? And when I was in college, an undergrad at Michigan State, I don't know if I ran with anybody from Southfield. It was mostly Benedictine, Renaissance, some eggheads from Cast Tech. Um, what was the culture like at Southfield High? Mm, Southfield High at that time had a reputation for, I think, a lot of clothes, name, brand, fashion. Okay. You know, girls cut yeah. a school with heels on. And <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Detroit. There's nothing wrong with that. In so, high school? Yeah, oh yeah. High school. Oh yeah. That's a different deal. That, that was, sisters came up to Michigan State like that too, man. That's not how we rolled in North Carolina for sure. Yeah, they were they were yeah. on it. They were on it. So I'll give a little bit of context. I'm gonna call you yo-yo because I, I call you yo-yo. I know. If that's okay. And it's all right. uh, that that's how I know you, and that's that's how I appreciate you. So we met as um, I was a doctoral student, you were a PhD student at Case Western. And you on a four-year journey, I was on a three-year journey. And you have come out of there doing some wonderful things. Not that I expected any differently, but now you are an associate professor, right? At well, assistant. Assistant, okay. Assistant. Yeah, assistant professor. I go up for tenure soon. In I was going to say tenure soon already. <laughs> So, so talk to me when I, when I, someone says tenure, what does yes. that mean to you as a professor? Yes. Um, so it's a lot of pressure actually to get tenure. So with tenure, you do have job security. So that's one thing. And then, you know, you also get a, a nice raise. So, okay. and, <laughs> but the job security is the, the job security is nice, you know, just to reach that hurdle is, yeah, you had to, you know, be on committees and publish and, you know, do um, scholarship service, teaching and look at all of that. So it's a hurdle, but. What was the focus working. PhD at Case? Yeah, my focus on PhD at Case was um, manage, healthcare management in the healthcare arena because that's my background is healthcare. So I wanted to know, and I'm a healthcare provider myself. So my goal was to see what I can do as a healthcare provider to really make change and make things different from what I've seen as a healthcare provider and what I've seen my family members go through on the other side being a patient. So when I teach, I I teach them what I've learned and what even from my research, how we can be better providers to patients. Patients don't always understand what you're saying. And really just to take that time out, listen to them, you know, let them tell you what's going on. Um, And then, you know, let them ask questions and ensure that before they leave, they have an understanding of what's really going on. And I know there's time pressures and things like that, but a lot of providers don't, you know, take that time to do that. You know, and I've seen with my own family, the doctor walk in, they walk out, and my aunt will look at me and be like, well, what what did they say? She had no idea what was going on, you know? And that happens quite frequently. And they don't understand how they want to follow what you tell them to do. They don't really understand. 
So you, you always struck me in our program, uh, and the way it was set up just for context for the audience, is we had general classes that we all had to get through, and we know we started with many more than we ended with. And then we started to get into this zone of what is your problem of practice, right? So your problem of practice specifically was what, Yolanda? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it changed like many, 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 <laughs> many times, but it ended was sort of, you know, basically what I said, basically um, dealing with the patient provider relationship and what can we do as providers to really, you know, impact really adherence to diabetes medicine. So my focus was on, I picked a disease that was diabetes. So it was type two diabetes and it has a very low adherence rate. Because, you know, it's a really hard lifestyle, you know, you have to change your diet, exercise, appointments, and this is not for six weeks or something, this is you have to do for a lifetime. And patients get frustrated, especially if the program or whatever, the treatment plan does not really coincide with their lifestyle. They work midnights or, you know, or work afternoons and you have them checking their sugar certain times a day and they can't do it because they're at work. And really personalizing that treatment, understanding what the patient's needs are, what the patient's goals are, and then you work from there. Got it. So when we were in the program, um, obviously, we spent a lot of time together. and We spent a lot of time talking about um, what the experience was like in that program uh, for people of color. Uh, there were gender aspects of that program that presented challenges. But one of the things I'm really happy to say is you emerged from that program as someone who Obviously, I had high expectations of you because I knew you, but I would argue as one of the more successful graduates from that Ph.D. program, you've gone back. Absolutely. And I mean that you've not only lived your dream now and you're teaching um, back in your home state and hometown at a great university. But you also have extended this whole body of work and research in healthcare and medicine. And you're also teaching in Jog Deep's class. <laughs> so <laughs> I named. So so tell me a little bit about Jog Deep and a little bit about how you found your way back into that madness. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. You know, he approached me about helping in six four nine and I was just about to graduate and I just couldn't really was yes. What, what is 649? Yes, that is causal analysis. Um, yeah. So when we took it, Kathy Buse took that class. So that's the class there. A lot of models. And I, yeah, yes. SEM models and things like that, yes. Okay. And I was really surprised that he even, I mean, I was really floored that he was even offered it to me, that he had confidence that I was going to be able to help out in that class. Cause you know, it was many in that class in our class that, you know, thought they were always better, you know, or thought they were always on top or, and I always felt like the underdog or always had to prove myself, you know, or felt like they felt like I wasn't even going to make it through or graduate half the time. But I just can't really focus on that. I have to focus on what I have to do with my own journey. My own journey was different because I was going through it with a daughter, you know, that was young at the time and I was a single mother. <laughs> so I had my own battles to really pay attention to what, you know, other people felt. But I felt like, you know, I was, you know, didn't feel like, you know, oh, she probably won't make it through. How did she make it through? That's how I feel, you know. So but you, it has been. You actually thought that? I do. I did. Was that was that voice to you? Was it from a from a staff perspective, from a uh, cohort fellow student perspective or across the board? I think mm, more and more in the, the cohort, you know, I think like because my research was healthcare, and everyone else was sort of around business and entrepreneurship and things like that, that mine wasn't they felt like mine wasn't really as important. <laughs> Or more, more, less likely to go anywhere at the time. So they didn't really pay attention to it. Lana, I'm curious, what was your uh, support system like, you know, going through that process? Great question. 
Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a wonderful question. I would not have made it through without my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hands down, not have made it through. Like they helped me, especially with my daughter, you know, and when I had to go to Cleveland, they helped me with watching her and things like that. I, I would not, just their encouragement and their support. You know, there's times in the program, I didn't think I was gonna even make it through. Like, I was praying I was gonna make it through. Even the year I was in my fourth year, I still didn't know I was working on it. You know, every weekend, 14 hours a day, because I w- had to work during the week, I couldn't quit my job like some people did. I needed insurance for my daughter. I had to, you know, still pay my bills. <laughs> so quitting my job was not really an option, you know. So, yeah, my parents, I was without them, I probably would have, you know, sunk. But that journey, that PhD journey, you go through a lot of twists and changes. How you come in is not the way you end in that journey. So I think I had a, I had a lot of growth you know, intellectually, even spiritually, you, you know, you come out, you know, stronger in the end, even though you feel like crap going through it, but in the end, you know, it's worth it. And just that determination, that grit to actually stay with it, even when you feel like quitting and crying, you know. That's interesting. You know, as I hear you share that, you know, I just think back and I, I remember going to law school, um, you know, many years ago and uh, not that, not to compare that to a doctoral or PhD program, fair. but I but I think about the rigor involved, uh, and I also think about the fact that you know when you go, um, like I did a little bit later in life, um, I didn't go to law school until my late twenties, and um, which is a little late for most people coming coming out of you know most people go out of come out of undergraduate school and typically go right into mm-hmm. law school, um, and then you realize that you made this choice, right, like. You were the one who decided to pursue this path, and then you get there and you go, "Oh wow!" Like there's just just a lot to it, to, you know, as you described. Um, coming out on the other end of that, like you obviously have, like like DJ has, um, how has that allowed you to like go into what's next in your career, and, and just be really, really um, confident that there's nothing really that you can't approach and do at this point that you want in your life? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, too. Um, and I definitely think I'm stronger and, um, you know, more determined than ever. But I don't really cannot say this is the end for me. Who knows? You know, and I'm always willing to change and willing to say, well, maybe I want to try this avenue or maybe try that avenue. You know, whichever way that I think, you know, to me is, about making good. You know, I want to leave an impact on the world. And as opportunities come my way, I may say maybe this is something I want to try. Just like with teaching stats, I never would have thought I would teach stats. But in a way, it was a blessing in a way. It helped me to remember all that stuff, helped me become even more confident in that stuff than what I had even going through as a student to actually had to relearn it again as a student. And they, you know, the program changed significantly and I had to keep, I had to keep self teaching myself, which is good because it makes me strong. It helps me learn, helps me, you know, um, evolve, you know, and, and you mentioned Jagdeep. <laughs> He's actually a very good teacher. I've learned a lot by watching him teach the students how, he wants the students to learn. He tries to, you know, actually pick at them so that they're learning. The learning aspect is important. And it's changed the way I teach as well, because I want to make sure that they learn and that you don't really give them the answers, but you want them to actually go through and work through figuring out for themselves. And that process is actually important. So I've learned that from him, how he, you know, goes about it, you know, and it's really interesting. So yeah. both ways, you know, I've learned and I've learned by watching and I've learned by actually, you know, working on things myself. So to set some context around Jog Deep, and I, you won't want to spend a lot of time talking about Jog Deep, but there's a profile of professor that is very accomplished academically and scholastically, arguably arrogant, um, extremely or confident, confident, confident. <laughs> 
not arguably confident, confident, arguably arrogant. Very confident. <laughs> okay. And, but still has a way about him that is very engaging. Very engaging. I like being around him, but he'll mentally murder you. If, if you come in and act like you know you're arrogant, you're going to have a problem. And he likes. But he pushes you until he. He tries to pull it out of you and pull it out of you. He's going to push you and push you till he pulls it out. You know, and that's that's he has a really good knack for that. So you said something earlier. He wants to pull it out. Yeah, well, you said something earlier, and let's push on it a little bit. Uh, teacher's pets, so to speak, right? And we won't go into too much detail about that, but they exist at the PhD level. Whether it's someone sold a profile to the university, uh, and um, they're the ones that get the phone calls. Hey, we're doing a Harvard Business Review um, expose. We want to have you in, whatever that might be, right? What I loved about this is not only did Yolanda excel in John Deep's course, but for him to ask you to come back and teach is almost unheard of. Like the, the level of respect he must have for you and your approach to learning, and your mastery of something like statistics, which at the PhD level is incredible. Yeah, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I still learn. You know, he realized that I'm learning, but I think he, you know, realized that I, you know, I like to learn, and I don't mind learning new things. And I, I think that's attractive to him, that, you know, I... No, hold on. Are you being shy now? Hold on. All of us learn. It's deeper than that, right? Uh, we all like to learn. We wouldn't have been there, right? Kids like to learn. But now you're teaching something to PhD students. That is probably the toughest thing to teach to a PhD student is that statistics. I mean, let's face it. That was We know that's the toughest class we had to, to date, right? Hey, I, you know, the B I got in uh, business school. And we're, and we're proud of that, wall. right? Yeah. Are you kidding me? A absolutely. I mean, if I had if I'd never yeah. seen I'm telling you. So, so you. It was hard. Yeah. Stay in there for a minute. Um. So again, you know, I'm spending a lot of time talking about this because your concept of being the underdog and emerging as arguably one of the most accomplished students coming out of there, I think, is amazing, and it was beautiful to watch. Um. I think a lot of people learned from it. I think we all emerge as better students and practitioners coming out of there. But I love the fact that your story, because personally, what I witnessed in your transition was um, a young, accomplished sister who was a little reticent at times to maybe speak her voice. Like you listened a lot. When we got started to get through that program, Yolanda, your level of confidence went up astronomically. And you were like, but you don't know what? Huh? Wait a minute. Are you sure about that? Right? And that's an amazing... Yeah, it's in my nature to listen. Yeah, right. I listen first, I take in, I observe, and then I make a, you know, a decision about, you know, if it's right or wrong, if they, not, if they really know what they're talking about or they don't know what they're talking about. You know, just because the loudest in the class is not necessarily the most knowledgeable. Amen. Absolutely. Keep that in mind. Absolutely. We saw some people struggle and, you know, leave and never come back. But um, I, I, th I think that's fantastic. So prior to entering the program, or were you a nurse practitioner? No, I was a I'm a physician assistant. Okay, physician assistant. So talk a little bit about that journey. And how did you get to the point where the Charles's point, you said, hey, I want to pursue a PhD now? Lots of twists and turns. You just never know, right? <laughs> so my journey actually began as a nurse. Right, okay. And I graduated from nursing school, and about three years later, I kind of knew nursing was not going to be my final stop. So I didn't know where I was going to go, either nurse practitioner or physician assistant. I explored both options. I ended up choosing the PA. I ended up seeing a UDM PA student. I talked to her, got to know about the program, looked at the informational. I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So then I took a year or two to do prerequisites. Then I studied for the GRE. And then luckily, you know, thank God I got in. So I was able to get in. 
And then from there, I worked at, as a PA for hmm, 14, 15 years. But while in PA school, I decided to go get my MBA. And then I got like, well, hmm, the job I was in, I say I knew it really well. You know, I wasn't seeing a lot of new things. And I felt like there was still something more. So like when we get my MBA, I get to learn more of the business aspect of healthcare, which was, you know, really interesting. And um, I'm glad I did that because doing that, I got to meet some fantastic people, which sort of lend the bridge for me going to PA school at Case. Okay. Some fantastic mentors. Yeah. And so you went into the program. Did you immediately know what you wanted your focus to be? Because choosing, you know, diabetes, especially in our, you know, you know, black and African-American community, it's a major issue. Or what, it is a major. Yeah. What fueled you to focus on specifically uh, the issues around diabetes? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so at first, when I first started, my um, my initial interest was healthcare literacy. Okay. And and basically from the patient side, you know, the patient's not really understanding um, a lot of the things that the doctors or the providers were telling them and how to make, how to bridge that gap between the patient and the provider. So then, you know, as you go through, you have coaches, you have advisors, and then they kind of help me channel it in or narrow it down to a specific condition. So we ended up with, you know, diabetes, diabetes went in my family, which was important. There's a lot of um, non-adherence with diabetes. So that's what I, you know, felt right to me to run with the focus there. Rhonda, how old was your uh, your daughter when you started and how old is she now? You know, I, I think back to when, you know, my both my parents pursued master's degrees uh, during the course of my childhood. And I remember vividly just the experience of them, you know, pursuing their studies. And, you know, my father was driving an hour and a half, you know, twice a week uh, to go to mm-hmm. his program. I know that that had to have some sort of impact on her watching you. Yeah. So that's a um, good question. So I started right before PA school. I think I started my MBA. She was like one. So that was like, and I finished when she was three. So that was like, it was easy. Believe it or not, it's easier when they're babies than it is when they're actually older because they don't really have the concept of time and don't miss you as much. So I started my PhD when she was four. So I kind of timed it out. I think I really want to do this, but I need the timing, you know, with her. I finished. I started when she was four and I finished when she was eight. So I wanted to finish before she became a teenager and I had to really look after her. The homework with her started to get harder. Um, or if I didn't do it when she was younger, I was thinking I had to do it when she's 18 or something. So I was looking for that window um, with her. But when she was four, it was easier, let's say, to go through. She didn't really realize what was going on. She was having fabulous sleepover with grannies and her cousins and things like that. And she didn't really miss me. By the time she was eight, she was like, where are you going? When are you coming back? What's going on? Take me with you. I'm going to. (laughs) So as she got older and more aware, it became harder. So I'm glad that I finished when I finished. What what does she look at? uh, How does she look at you now in terms of the work that you do? I mean, obviously there's been a path to get there. Um, My guess is that she's, you know, really, know proud and inspired by what you do every single day I hope so (laughs) but it's hard to tell with a 10 year old but I hope so I I hope I inspired her to basically you know the sky is the limit you don't have to limit yourself to any career you know think about what you really want and really shoot for it and you know direct yourself for it so I, I hope so Um, I hope I had an impact on her as well as my niece and nephew um, going forward. Because I'm the first to graduate from college and, you know, get a master's and even a Ph.D. So it was significant for my family. And I hope I'm able to impact the generations after me, too. Yeah. And and I'm kind of like DJ now, uh, just in the conversation. I think you're understanding um, how big that is. And. You know, I think as we go through generations and and, and watch, you know, our our families have the opportunity to get, you know, educated beyond what, you know, the previous generation did, 
you know, it, it really changes the trajectory of what's possible for those behind us, you know, for our kids, for it their does. the expectation of what is possible in life, right? And so I think when you do these kinds of things, you're setting up not only your kids for uh, what's, what's the greater opportunity in life, but also generations behind them in terms of what your family name is able to accomplish. I, I do agree. And and I think some of that still is from my parents. My my mom and dad are both from the South. My mom's from Mississippi. My dad's from Alabama. They grew up, you know, very, very poor. You know, my dad went to service, but he was always, he's always very ambitious. There's nothing that he thought he couldn't do. And then together, my mom and dad prioritize our education. Even when we were younger, we were in private school, they would work double shifts and overtime. And and I wasn't, you know, at the time, I wasn't aware of the sacrifices that they made for my sister and I. But growing up, I realized they went without a lot of things so that my sister and I could go to school and have some of the things that we wanted. They went without so that we could have uh, benefit from it and go to good school. And from very little, they prioritize, you know, they, you know, stuck into us, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to college in third grade, you're going to go to college. And that was very important to them that my sister and I graduated from college. That's all they ever wanted for us because they didn't get that opportunity. That's the standard, you know, and I think that you're setting a new standard, right? And so, you know, you'll, you'll pour that into your daughter. You, you don't have to say a thing, you know, at this point. It's what they see, right? I think a lot of times, you know, watching what we do versus what we say really has a huge impact. And um, obviously your, your parents had a push for you to say, hey, this is what you have to do. Uh, and that obviously worked. Um, but the things that you will do uh, that your nieces, nephews, and your daughter will see, I mean, that, that will propel them beyond you know, anything that you probably would even imagine at the moment. I hope so. <laughs> well, let's press on that a little bit, Yo-Yo. When we think about, obviously, you know, there's your daughter being inspired, whether it's um, overt or, you know, subjective, whatever it might be, she is inspired. She's probably noticing things that we don't know she's noticing, right? Um, mm-hmm. It means something to her down the road. But how about your students? What's the demographic makeup of your students that you teach now, just in general, gender, race? Yeah, okay. So I'm a physician assistant, and if you know anything about that profession, only 3%, 3% of that whole profession is African-American. Three. So in my class, I ha- in my current class, I don't have any African-American students. Not one. Wow. How do you how do you feel about that? In the class under me, we have I think maybe one or two. It's been a problem for years. So I've you know I have a profound interest in diversity and inclusion. I've been working um, and they've been very open, you know, to my suggestions and working on recruitment, the curriculum, working on outreach, like going into high schools. You know, a lot of the um, high school students don't even know what a physician assistant is. They think doctor, nurse. We don't really understand what a physician assistant is. Got it. Then, yeah, they don't, yeah, we don't know. We don't even know to really apply. You know, this is actually a really great career, but they don't know, know about it. Yeah, and then we've been working on retention efforts to actually retain the students, the minority students that we have to the end, actually really work with them and help them through the graduation. Do you think we're starting early enough with uh, you know, our outreach to, to students and, and getting them you know, sort of in a position? To, so I, I think a lot of times, look, I'm just guessing here. I'm just sort of thinking, I'm thinking about how, um, you know, as I watch my kids go through, I've got a, a high schooler right now who's a sophomore, and I they start with the curriculum, you know, really early, right? So you're headed down a particular path, and once you start down that path, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, it's really hard to change and move in a direction where you can start pursuing, you know, certain type of 
you know, education or a certain type of career out of high school if you didn't start it very early. How do we yeah. have kids quick enough so that, you know, you don't get to someone in their junior senior year and all of a sudden they haven't taken any of the coursework that allows them to get into an academic program that can allow them to go down that path? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I tell my niece and nephew, they're just starting to enter high school, how important that is and how these grades count. Colleges are looking at your grades from the ninth grade on. Like, it's really no time to play. <laughs> and, you know, and I think you really have to start on them like middle school, pretty much, because by the time you get to high school, it's counting, you know. And having that, you know, mentor and going out into community and then people in the community actually seeing successful African-Americans and they can say, I can do this or I can do that. It's not just about, you know, being in a video or rapping or football and going to NFL or going to the NBA because the chances are so slim that, you know, you're actually going to make that and you actually do that, that is more likely to see these professionals and doctors and entrepreneurs and physician assistants that that, that, is, that a good life and a good career is possible if they see it and actually know someone or be around someone. You know, it's interesting, you know, particularly with someone like you has a background in statistics. I mean, you do the numbers on those and the, the, the opportunity in those areas, those fields you just talked about is so minute, right? Uh, you know, and we don't look, you know, who wants to crush people's thoughts of, uh, and ideas about a dream, right? But at the same time, I think we also have to have other paths. And the more we have information that lets us understand what the realities are and how there are so many other paths out there that can get you mm-hmm. such a, you know, just as, as, as good of a place from a standpoint of your professional and your financial future and opportunity, we just don't know enough about that or don't share enough about that where we can understand that. Yes, I agree. And then, you know, even when I went to high school, you know, I told you how my high school was. It's all about show, you know, what you have, what you can show. But then you get older, you realize the material things is not really important. And those that are really well off don't really show as much, you know. Mm-hmm. They're saving their money, you know. So you, you know, get smarter and wiser. But kids, they, they you know, you're drawn to what they see, the flash, the car, the, you know, clothes, the gym shoes, you know. And you don't realize at the time that that's not really important those grades is a lot important you need those grades you know now, not the... but you still showed up to class looking kind of sharp yo yo i yeah. did yeah <laughs> with the heels on oh buddy i don't i don't think they're you... just they're just my work clothes, ah, just my work clothes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't recall you ever wearing jeans I did wear jeans. Yo, y'all. All right, if you say so. I recall a lot of sharp slacks and business attire. I mean, always dressed to the nines, always looking great. But I think that's important too, right? Because we need to represent greatness in all aspects of our profile. And I and I think you did that as well. Mm-hmm. To the point he, he where he does that every day, so he's just okay. speaking truth right now. Okay. <laughs> to the point where you actually had some folks that kind of liked you in the cl- kind of liked you in the class, right? You see that look? I don't know. Who? <laughs> you know what? I won't go there, yo, yo. But I'm just saying, some folks, <laughs> some wow. folks caught on to your style, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we won't even go there. That's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> notice. Let's say that, right? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> what was that? I said, I didn't know what they were thinking. Okay. Didn't realize. <laughs> That's okay. So now I, I think, you know, talking about, you know, being an inspiration. And not that I worry a whole lot at all or even concern myself with what a lot of people think. I do think one of the things we realize in education is that we can make a really big footprint in a lot of different spaces. 
So the fact that you're even able to go back to Detroit and go back to Mercy and have such an impact on students from all walks of life, I think that's awesome. Because now you talk about that 3%, right? That's the same thing we're talking about when we talk about sports, though. Mm-hmm. So, so if I'm a kid and say, I got a 3% chance of, you know, becoming a PA, that's not how we want to I vote. thought it was. Le- I thought it was less than, I thought it was less than that for... Well, there are a finite professional sports, but then they think they can go over to Europe and play, right? They can do okay, okay, the other avenues, okay, avenues, right? But I think your point is you you are expanding that whole landscape of of opportunity by being an example and a great example of what not just our bodies can do, but our minds, where our minds can take us. And you know, I remember our conversations, and you know, we had Donna and. uh, Shola on the show mm-hmm. and we talked about oh. yeah so we talked about those nights you know <sighs> at the table down in the hotel lobby two o'clock in the morning knocking this out mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. solving problems and that really means something and we learn from each other and uh, we needed diverse perspectives to get through uh, the program I agree yeah I agree so when you think about the future for you you don't strike me as someone who stays content for too long. You know, like looking at this challenge, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, as I grow and grow older and learning a lot about myself. And so interesting. So I grew up watching my parents, right? My dad retired from GM after about 30, 40 years. My mom worked at the same hospital for 40 years almost and retired. But you come to realize that it's not like that anymore. Probably chances are most likely I won't be at the same institution till I retire, you know, and just to keep an open mind, you know, where the Lord leads me that I think I can do the most good and have the most impact is what I'm going to what I think I'm going to do. I mean, because the chances are that may not if it happens, I'm at the same institution for 40 years. That's fine. But I think. More than likely, you know, I probably won't because it's not like that anymore like it is, you know, the way my parents' generation. They were loyal to companies, yeah. you know, and that whole generation. They stayed, they worked, they got their chat, and they retired. But now it's, it's a different landscape, you know. You find that companies not so loyal to their employees, you know. You leave or get set, you know, they think you're replaceable. I'm not saying that where I work that they think that, but it's just the reality of life now. Something you say I'm more woke to that. <laughs> <laughs> and open-minded <laughs> so you know I just hope I'm in a good spot where I can do the most good. Yolanda you did say that you you live where you grew up correct? Mm-hmm. What is that like you know I don't, I don't you know neither one of us live where we grew up yeah. and um, you know we've, we've you know BJ and I both have lived in a number of different places before we sort of landed where we are now. What's that like to sort of be mm-hmm. in this community where you know you you were grounded and and sort of risen up to to where you are today, and watching a community sometimes either grow and change with you and become you know much more. Um, I'm trying to figure out the right word to use without being disparaging. Yeah, yeah, more sophisticated and seeing a, seeing it economically prosper. And sometimes you don't see that, right? What's that like being in that hometown that you grew up in, and how are you trying to sort of put your, your imprint or make a difference in that area? Mm-hmm. That's a um, good question, too. So now I'm more involved with the Southfield school system and things like that. Um, and I want to go in, you know, for, as far as the program and maybe do informational to the school. I don't know about what the PA is. Um, participate, participate more in career days and career fairs. Um, and things like that. Um, I've seen the, you know, the city evolve and some things were for the good and some things were not for the, for the good. But on the flip side, I feel like I'm also maybe a little sheltered because I have not, I've been to different places, but I haven't really lived anywhere else. So just, you know, it'd be nice to see sort of what the world outside of my bubble looks like. Well, you are, is that is that suggesting that you're open to uh, leaving, living somewhere else at some point? 
He owns a. He owns, yeah. So he owns what? A search firm. I was not trying to recruit him. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think I am open to, yeah, eventually, you know, moving somewhere else. Yeah. I'd like to see a little more of the world and the place, maybe travel a little more. You know, with COVID, I haven't had a chance to travel, you know. What'd you say about the winter? I said the winters aren't so hard out here, you know. Yeah, but your summers are. <laughs> you don't have to be here. That's the beauty of it. You make it happen. You can keep hot in Detroit. You get back in Detroit. You go back whenever you want. Okay. All right. I heard three months of you had three months of hell and then nine months of great weather. So that's what I heard. Yeah, you guys get. I know some people that move there. We have. It's like the opposite here. Yeah, three months. Three months of great weather and nine months of terrible weather. Went to Michigan State, so yeah, I'm not trying to go back. So warriors like you. Yeah. We have nice summers. Yeah, they're not, I wouldn't know it, but but they're not they're nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm okay here. So, um, what would you like to see happen uh, with your daughter? And I know there's the standard canned answer, whatever she wants, check. But I don't want to hear that. I know you have to have some vision, right? Um, what does that vision look like within the context of whatever she wants to have? Yeah, I wanted to be mature, have a good head on her shoulders, able to be a leader, not really follow what other people are doing, really have that mind for herself, do what she wants. I really want that. And then end up in a career that she's happy with, not something that she had to do just to make ends meet. But actually, she finds something she loves and enjoys. When you do something you love and enjoy, you're good at it. So I, I do wish that for her. And I wish that she's able to take care of herself, you know, meet her needs and her bills and whatever, you know, independently. Just like my, my father, you know, used to wish the same for us, that we were um educated we had a, a good job we, we had a husband that's fine or had someone that's fine but he said there may be a chance you may not so you want he wanted us to be able to at least take care of ourselves you know if it happens great if not at least I know in my mind you're able to take care of yourself so you know he said because he had girls if he had boys he would probably said something else but for girls he, you know, it was important that we were at least self-sufficient. And, and does it feel like, I would imagine this is the case, but does it feel like she's tracking in that direction? Yes. So far, so good. I mean, she's, I haven't been through the teen years yet, so I just take it day by day. Coming. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say about the teen years? Ooh. Um... <laughs> You know, you learn a lot about uh, not only your kids, but you also learn about a lot about yourself, too, uh, in terms of, you know, you want all these things for them. Um, but at the end of the day, you also realize that it's up to them to make a lot of those things happen, right? So you can you have the whole adage of you can uh, mm-hmm. press the water, you can't make the water. And you just... And you just hope they make the right choice and pray they make the right choice. That's what it comes down to, right, is you instill enough in them along the way to when they get to that point that, you know, at that point, it really becomes about, you know, look, you're going to do what you do, but just make sure that you think about when you do these things, what the consequences could be. Um, and um, look, we all have been there. You know, we were all teenagers once and young people, mm-hmm. you know, young people um, you know, making choices and making decisions every day. And so. Um, you know, it, it, it we managed to be okay and work through that, right? But we, we just get them through those times. Yeah. I think when they, once they become young adults, I think they'll be in a space where they can, you know, continue to track and do the things they need to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. I worry, you know, times are different when we were younger compared to what she's going through. There was no social media, you know, they couldn't take a picture of you and post it, you know, and I, I do worry about those things. But it's yeah. not, some things are out of my control, you know. <laughs> I try to tell my, my girls, you know, um, look, remember, you, you put it out there, you can't take it back. You don't anymore. So, um, you know, it is a completely different dynamic today. And I think it's something, you know, obviously, we didn't have to manage through that, you know, with 
the biggest thing we had to worry about is, you know, when we ran to school the next day and uh, you know, out. Uh, but they have so much more on their plate that it's just, it's, it's unbelievable, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a, a different game for sure. So just a few more questions as we wrap up, yo, yo. Were you an athlete growing up? Well, actually, I played volleyball and I was on a cheerleading team. Okay, through high school. And I played the clarinet. <laughs> oh, I can see that. Well, I mean the heels. I can. What's that? <laughs> Wait, oh, it? <laughs> Did you hear what he said? No. Okay. Thank cool. goodness. <laughs> were a giveaway. I mean, of course, she was a cheerleader. <laughs> He's uh, it. Oh, yeah, between that might be a poor <laughs> connection, but nonetheless. So let's see. You played. So was that through high school volleyball and cheering? Yes. Yes. So what were you? Were you a setter or were you uh, a libero? What position in volleyball did you play? I was more so a server. Oh, okay, was my it. favorite. Yeah. Oh, okay, that all makes sense now. You you accurate and you're accurate now. I get it. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you see your daughter being an athlete? She likes to dance, so I can see her doing like dance team or even cheerleading. She she loves that stuff. Okay. And gymnastics. She loves gymnastics, so she's oh, that's good great. with those flips. Yeah, those flips and things. Yeah, you, you yeah. Gymnastics to me has always been one where you have to conquer some fears at an early age. Mm-hmm. Involved in gymnastics, I never I never got there. Had a buddy who just run outside and start doing flips. I mean, just in the front yard, just start flipping. I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? Just like flipping in the front yard, I never got there. Wow. It felt like shooting yourself with a needle. You know what I mean? Or like giving yourself <laughs> I just, I couldn't. So you were in that. Um, so when, when you think about this experience, because when you and I were spending time as students, we were learners at Case Western. So anytime we got to campus, we had to shift this mindset from being great practitioners and experts and people loved us at our companies to, yeah, y'all really don't know anything. Now, mm-hmm. back, and every time you go back to Case Western, students are looking at you like we used to look at John Deep, right? And we used to look at, what does that feel like? Yeah, you know, that's, and I'm humble <laughs> about it. Um, so they might ask my advice regarding like, their research or the journey or how do I do to stay on track and things like that. I try to, you know, answer and point them in the right direction. But I feel like, you know, I don't know. It was probably sometimes I feel like with God's grace, I even got through, you know. So I was praying all the way through. Well, it, it, it worked. You also working hard and you, you're a very critical thinker at the same time. So and, and you, you paid attention to what it took to be successful in that program. And there wasn't a whole lot of talking. Uh, that was well, I didn't have time. You know, I had work and my daughter. I feel like it was three ways, you know, split between the school, my job and my daughter. You know, so I was always split or many nights I had to stay up or work when she goes to bed or wake up early in the morning to do the work. And I just had to make a way. It was no no other option. Well, you know, you talked about being a, a single mom. I know there were two cats at that in that program that if they had it their way, you wouldn't have been a single mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo, yo, let's talk about. I don't know. Hey, okay, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it was any available guys though in my class. So they were available. They weren't available. I don't know if you found them attractive, but let's be real. I don't think they were available. I think they probably had girlfriends or something. Okay, you know what, yo, yo, let's say this. Right? Let's say Look that. at that look. Let's, <laughs> really? Yo, yo, let's Are say this. Are you going to put my business out here No, just I'm like not putting, this is a compliment to Yolanda because I felt like I had to play the bodyguard role at times. Like, you know what? Bodyguard? Walk with me. You don't want me to go there, yo, yo, and I'm not. I, I think I had to play the bodyguard with you. It was somebody on you. <laughs> and actually got physical with them, you know? That's got big, boy. Are you making stuff up? No. You know what? I do know what you're talking about. I remember now. 
That's right, you did. We protected each other. How about that? Is that fair? Somebody was really after you. <laughs> I forgot. Yolanda, I actually forgot until you said that. But yeah, what really is that? Notice DJ just stopped the conversation <laughs> did, when he when he. You got, know what? I think he. I think he was flattered. Uh huh. I think he was flattered. Yo, yo, would you stop? You know, I was not, I was disturbed by by that. <laughs> yeah. See, see how he cut that. I was disturbed. He cut that. But, big but you were as well. You got a, you got a strange phone call one one evening, right? Oh, you forgot. Oh, you forgot. I forgot. You remember now? I do. What were you doing? <laughs> oh, yo, yo. oh no. Listen, we'll switch to, we'll switch to conversation now. You reminded me of something I forgot about. I reminded you of something you forgot about. Pretty disturbing on both ends. I forgot about it. Here's what it is we made it through. Um, do you have any questions of Charles or myself before we uh, close? Um, I want to say just a comment. I think you guys are doing a wonderful thing. As I've, I actually watched a few of the podcasts, and I think you know, bringing people on and talking about their journey and bringing more awareness out there. And I, I just want to just comment. I think you guys are both doing a really good thing, and I'm proud of proud of both of you. I just met you, Charles, but this is good. Thank I think you guys are doing a good thing, and you should you know keep going. Thank you, Lana. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, DJ, yeah. uh, look, we just we're just on a journey ourselves, just trying to see where it goes, and I'm really grateful for people like you who just uh, are doing so many great things to inspire not only us but others as well. And, and you know, I hope that we get a chance to meet sometime in person and uh, break bread and uh, have more stories. I want to hear more about. I want to hear more dirt about DJ. <laughs> it's not dirt. <laughs> I got stories. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both avoided some, some massacres. <laughs> let's put it let's put it that way. But you know, thank you for your comments. Thank um, you. You're welcome. Yeah, it, it's really it's really awesome to be in a position where you know Charles and I can talk about and discuss things that are important to us and we're passionate about, but also illuminate the successes of people like you. And that's where I get excited. I mean, to hear your story. And to know the yo-yos exist, the Yolandas exist, they're out here. Um, We're not negative statistics. We actually Mm -hmm. have a level of emotional intelligence that most people can't even relate to. And you're an example of that. So not just in your blackness, which is a wonderful thing, but the whole thing around working full time and being a single mom, I mean, that's incredible. You know, I was doing some consulting and I was teaching in college. But I had some freedom that you didn't have in that program. And I know how tough it was for me. So just to be able to sit here and illuminate the stories and people like yourself and your journey, really, really exciting. And I'm, I'm glad we can have you on the show. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So it's been a yeah and I hope my story inspires other people, too, that, you know, there's no limit. You know, you actually put your mind to it and, um, you know, really want it. You can go get it. Anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Londa. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com.